Well, good morning and welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Eli. I'm one of the pastors here. I uh, also want to welcome all of you who are watching online, and I do feel like you've gotten a bad rap over the last few weeks about your cabin, so we aren't jealous. We just want the invite. We just want to be with you. So I um, also want to welcome those of you in our parent viewing rooms. Those are great options for those of you who have young kids who you want to keep with you during the service. Well, I'll quick address the elephant in the room. Yes, this morning I might have a CrossFit story or two, but that is actually the first real rule of CrossFit is you have to talk about CrossFit. It's much like Teslas and Pelotons, you have to talk about it. So we've warned you, we put it on our Instagram page. So if you're here and you don't like CrossFit, it's not my fault. So there are a lot of other churches though in the area, if you don't like pastors who talk about CrossFit, but I'll just let you know, they're probably not as strong as us. So I don't, I don't have facts to back that up with, but I'm just, just saying. Well, I'll let you know, uh, about two weeks ago, my wife, uh, Ashley, and our kids, we traveled to Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, it was for the first time having my three kids under the age of nine on a plane. And so for that, it was actually going remarkably well. Uh, we did have an hour delay at the gate. We did have an hour delay on the runway where the uh, pilot came on and said, hey, you're going to want to shut those windows because our air doesn't work. And uh, I th- we have a picture of how we looked during that, maybe, because techn- technology, again, good job. Uh, you can see poor Evie, red-faced, but thankfully my wife brought snacks for us. She brought water bottles. I think we had at least six devices on the plane, two for each kid. I'm not sure how that works, but it did make me think how different traveling for my kids is versus how traveling for me growing up was. Uh, Road trips for me growing up was me and my two older sisters in the back of a pickup truck. We did have cinder blocks to sit on, so safety first. Um, We were given a walkie-talkie so we could say, hey, we have to go to the bathroom. Uh, There was a topper, so it wasn't, wasn't, we got to stay dry in the rain, but uh, I was thinking all we had to do to entertain ourselves was either look out the window or talk to each other like psychopaths, apparently. And, um, but that's how we grew up traveling, and it's different for my kids now. Uh, the flight was actually uneventful. We, got to, we flew to Nashville, rented a car, went to Huntsville, had a great time with my sister and her family. And then on Friday, we started our journey back to Nashville. And it was going pretty well right up until the point that it wasn't. So Ashley had asked me while we were driving, hey, do you know what you're going to talk about on Sunday yet? And I told her, yeah, you know, I'm leaning towards resilience. I just finished a book by John Eldridge entitled that and podcasts. And I think that's what I want to talk about. And she said, well, tell me more about resilience. So I found the definition. The definition of resilience is the ability to adapt to negative change and recover as quickly as possible. Another definition for resilience is the capacity to bounce back and return to your original form. I found it interesting that they had to specify negative change, but it makes sense to me because none of us need help adapting to positive change. If we win the lottery, we're not like, just give me a minute. You know, I want to, I need to prepare. I wish it would just go back to normal. I'd like to go back without that money. But I went on to explain to her, man, we have just been surrounded by either people, friends who are going through some heavy life stuff, whether it's sickness for them or their kids or the loss of a job. And it's really been on my heart and made me ask, like, what makes someone resilient? 
And no joke, as we're talking about this, Ashley gets an email from our airline. The email actually says, hey, uh, your flight's been canceled. And so I'm surprised, you, nobody saw that coming. I thought for sure you guys watched the news. Yeah, our flight got canceled. And so she looks up at me and does what any good wife in a stressful situation would do. And she looks at me and says, this is your fault. (laughs) You had to pick resilience, didn't you? So Ashley immediately gets on the phone with the airline. I call the rental car company. We pull over to a gas station in Pulaski, Tennessee. It's a thousand degrees outside. And we are quickly becoming not the best versions of ourselves. And by we, I mean me. Ashley is giggling with her new friend, Allison, from the airline, saying things like, we totally understand. It's not your fault. And I'm sitting there raging like, but it is their fault. (laughs) It is not okay. We're a thousand miles from home. It's a hundred degrees outside. Our rental car has that feature where if you're not driving, it turns off. So we're starting to sweat and have PTSD back to the airplane. And at one point, I think I hear Ashley say, you should come over for Christmas. And I'm like, no, 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 no. They need to get us home. We're supposed to be in our beds tonight, sleeping at home. Well, after an hour on hold, Ashley's new BFF gets on the phone and says, hey, I got great news for you. Sweet. We found you a direct flight home. Amen. Uh, It is from Atlanta. Oh, okay. Uh, It is on Monday evening. It's Friday afternoon right now. And I'm not going to speak ill of the airline they wanted to switch us to, but I'll give you a clue on who they were. When we baptize people up here, we often say we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy. And so in that moment, I realized out of all the bad options, the best bad option is that we're driving through the night and we're getting home. So I took a moment to apologize to each one of my kids individually because I was like violently snapping, like be quiet to them while I was on the phone. Also apologized to my wife and we drove to the store. We got some fuzzy blankets. We got some pillows. I got my road trip, trip essentials, which are a water, of course, an energy drink, some ranch jumbo seeds. You gotta have sour gummy worms on these trips. So I was set, and 14 hours later, we were home. And man, my kids, they were resilient. And eventually, their mom and dad joined them in that. Now last week, our youth pastor Chandler talked about how God's kingdom is counter-cultural to the world we live in. How we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we love people is different than the world that we live in. And of course, I think he missed something. And so I want to piggyback off that message that he had last week and say this. Our resilience to difficult seasons and trials should be countercultural to the world we live in. Now, I think we all know somebody who's gone through a difficult season or a trial. And I think we ask ourselves often, like, how'd they get through that? What kept them going Why did they stay so positive through it? And I think if we took the time to actually ask them, we would hear very similar answers. We'd hear things like, if it wasn't for my faith, if it wasn't for my family or my community, I don't know how I would have made it through. Now looking around this room this morning, I see 
A lot of resilient people. Resilience that's been built through some of the toughest seasons and most painful seasons that life offers. I see people who have been knocked down by the loss of a spouse or a parent or a child, people who are waiting for healing in their bodies and yet they continue to get back up and move forward. Now I've been on staff here since 2017 and I've seen this church and this community do a lot of awesome things. I've seen them, man, we've raised money for local and foreign uh, companies and we've done so much good. But one of my favorite things to see is when, is when that difficult season, when that trial happens, inevitably you call your church and ask for somebody to come show up. And usually, I want to say nine out of ten times, when we open that door, one of you is already sitting with the person who called. And I can't thank you enough for being that kind of community. I think the problem is, though, you don't actually often get to see the things people are going through. You look around this morning, you see people who have showered, they're wearing nice clothes, they probably smell good, and this is not an invitation for you to sniff your neighbor, but... They look like they have it all together. And you maybe think to yourself, if I had their life, I would probably be that happy too. Some of us might think that if we have a relationship with God, that we are somehow insulated from these difficult seasons and trials. But the kicker is, for those of us who have been Christians for more than five minutes, we know that that's not the case. We have the same problems as those people who don't have relationships with God. And Jesus, he never said that we wouldn't have difficult seasons or trials. Jesus said this in John 16, He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I'll say that part again. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He never promised us an easy, problem-free life But Jesus does promise us peace. And that peace surpasses all of our understanding. King Solomon was Israel's third king, and he was known as a humble, obedient servant of God and one of the wisest men in the Bible. And he knew that we would go through difficult times, and he gave us this picture in Proverbs 24. He says this, For though the righteous one may fall seven times, he gets up again. But the wicked stumble in adversity. King Solomon's saying that what separates us from those who don't have a relationship with God isn't whether we fall, and it isn't, whether how, it isn't how many times we fall. He knows that will happen, but it's how many times we get back up. Now, I know there's a tendency that when you find yourself going through a difficult season or a trial, to feel that nobody understands what you're going through and you're isolated and alone in it. But I wanna show you something. Can we have just like a moment of vulnerability this morning? I wanna ask five questions. I'm gonna ask that at the end of those five questions, if you said yes to any of them, you just raise your hand and hold it up for a minute. So I'm gonna ask you this. Have you or someone you love dealt with a physical impairment? Have you or someone you love dealt with the loss of a relationship? Have you or someone you love dealt with mental illness or mental health? Have you or someone you love dealt with infertility or miscarriage? Have you or someone you love 
been bullied or abused. Now, if we could just be honest with each other, if you answered yes to any of those questions, will you just hold your hand up for a moment? Yeah, take it, just look around for a second. You can put your hands down. Difficult seasons and difficult trials, they don't discriminate. They're a normal part of our lives. Everyone gets knocked down with difficult times. Everyone can get blindsided by life. The key to being resilient doesn't mean that you don't get knocked down. The key to resilience is this. It simply means that you get back up one more time than you get knocked down. Now, I think the problem is that over the last two or three years, we've been living out an experiment of just how much one person can take. Some of you answered yes to one of those questions. Some of you might have raised your hands to two, three, or four Some of us raised our hands to all five of those. Now, this bar represents this morning, this bar is our life, which starts out, it can be heavy to begin with. The different weights that we have here represent the different seasons, the difficult seasons, the trials that we go through. And not every trial we go through has the same weight. Just because it's heavy for us, it might not be heavy for somebody else, and vice versa. Now, I think when we have all that going on and then we throw the season of COVID on top of it, this weight can get really heavy. Some of you might not have raised your hands to any of those questions and I'm happy for you. Uh, But some of us kind of forget that the everyday life stresses can add up. Even though it seems like a little weight now, you add it up and add it up and it becomes a heavy weight like this. There's these little weights that we carry through life. I call this cute little weight Chandler. <laughs> I'm just kidding, he's more of like this one. He's the, he's the big guy. I'm just kidding, I love that guy. He made fun of me last week, so that was my shot back. But I wanna say, when we add up all the sum of the life events, like this weight can get heavy. And we hold it for as long as we can, but eventually, even with our greatest effort, we're gonna drop the weight. That went just as good as first service, okay. It's, for those of you out there like, we wanna add that up, it's 255, okay? I just don't want you to be distracted by it. It's 255, which was the weight I picked because I thought if I lifted that, I wouldn't sweat profusely for the rest of the service. We're about to find out. But man, when you're not connected to your faith, when you're not connected in community or with your family, man, that weight will eventually get heavy and you'll drop it. So what makes us more resilient people? I'll concede the fact that some of us are born with a never give up, never say never, resilient attitude. But some of us, we need to develop our resilience and grow in it. So this morning I wanna start in the book of James. Now, if you're ever looking for evidence that Jesus was exactly who he says he was, you can look at James. He was the brother of Jesus, and imagine convincing your brother that you are the savior of the world. James did. So James wrote this in chapter one, verses two and three. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. These trials are just 
tests that we need to keep a positive attitude through. And I know that's hard. I know that's easier said than done. But connecting yourself to God, whether that's here on a Sunday or online, that's great. But that's where it begins. We say church begins once you leave these doors. But you need to connect yourself to God to get through the trial. Depending on how your response to these difficult seasons and trials are, it can either lead you to discouragement or destruction, or on the other hand, it can drive you towards God. Now, I am a big college basketball fan. I love my Michigan State Spartans, and that's not a shot at you gophers, but I actually have a good basketball team to cheer for, which is the only thing I can really brag about for Michigan right now. But whenever March Madness comes, when you hear sports analysts talk about Michigan State, the rule that they live by is you pick that team, you pick Michigan State to go one round farther than you think they'll go. And the reason they do this, they have a solid coach, they have a talented team, they've been tested through a difficult season in a difficult conference, and so they know who they are. On the other hand, those same sports analysts, when they look at the small, obscure college conference team, they look at them and they say, we just don't know how good they are because they've never been tested. They've never been down 15 points in the second half and had to fight back. So we just don't know if we can trust them. And I think that same concept applies for us. If we haven't been tested, we don't know if we can be trusted. Being tested helps us move from knowing the right way to live, from living Jesus' way, to actually living it out every single day. Testing forces us to ask the questions, do we believe in ourselves or do we believe in God? Do we believe that God loves me? Do we believe in his promises? Do we believe in his word? Do we put our faith and hope in God? So let me ask another question this morning. Is there a need for faith if you don't have problems? Is there a need for faith if you don't have problems? I had a buddy speak here a few weeks ago and he stopped by my house after to pick up some of his stuff. And he pulled into our neighborhood and he sees you know, kids playing and people walking and neighbors talking and he gets out of his car and he says, you know you live in Mayberry, right? And I think what he meant by that is we live in a community that is safe and it's growing. And from the outside looking in, we have it all together. But if he looked deeper, he would see that everybody has storms. I've said it before here. I've seen it and I've seen it time again and I've lived it. I feel like a lot of people are either in the middle of a storm, they're coming out of a storm, or they're heading right back into a storm. So it doesn't matter where you live, there's always another storm. I think it's easy to believe in God's promises when you're on that mountaintop, when your marriage is going good, when you get that promotion, when your kids are doing well at school and healthy. But man, what do we do when the weight is actually heavy? Do we still turn to God? James continues in verse four, he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perseverance is defined as the ability to endure under pressure. 
Learning to persevere makes us more mature. So what do we do when we're carrying that heavy weight and we're exhausted? We know setbacks will come, whether relationally or spiritually, financially. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. He says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. The key to growing our resilience is to endure under pressure. Endure under pressure. Now, because I have a lot of friends here who like to bully me about how much I talk about my leg, most of the services I talk, there's a bet of how far we'll get into the service before he mentions it. So whoever had 1108, you win and you're welcome. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> so I'm going to give you just a quick recap of what my last two and a half years have been. In September of 2019, I was in a serious car accident, snapped my femur, collapsed a lung, had a concussion, had something called compartment syndrome, which is a treatment for that is to cut you open from hip to knee and let the swelling go down. And I said this first service, I was like, you see how big of a length that is? That's got to be the biggest scar in the room. And then I had somebody come up to me and correct me. I, I was in second place first service. So if you do have a bigger scar, I would love to hear your story if you want to share that with me. But after the third surgery, the swelling had gone down enough, and I was sent home to start my healing process. And my healing process actually became a way for me to know how long people, newer people have been attending Westbridge. They would say, I remember you when you were in the wheelchair. I'm like, oh, you were here in November of 2019. Or I remember when you were on crutches, and I know exactly when that is, or cane, or the limp. And that just became how I knew people when they started attending. And now I'm finally in that rebuilding strength season. And man, I'll tell you, I will take that season all day long over the healing and patience and waiting season. But for the last two and a half years, I've had this finish line in my mind of this healing journey. And it's been when I can do this one workout again, I know I'll be back. I'll know I'll have bounced back from that negative change that affected me. And I'll have returned to my original form. And that workout is popular in the CrossFit community and it's called the Murph. Uh, the Murph was named after Lieutenant Michael Murphy who lost his life in Afghanistan in 2005. But his favorite workout was a one mile run, 100 push-ups, 200, sorry, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, and followed by another mile run. And he did it while wearing a 20 pound vest. I never did it with a 20 pound vest. So I knew when I could do that, I would finally be back to my original form. Well, last Memorial Day uh, was my first attempt at the Murph since 2019. My CrossFit gym in town allowed us to bring friends, and so I invited my good friends, uh, Caleb and Chad, to join me to witness this milestone. You can look, this is after. Both of them look like they could go do it again, and I look like I died and they just like leaned me up against Caleb. They suffered alongside me. And I'll tell you, of course, when Chad walked into the gym, he started asking, hey, does anybody have an extra 20-pound vest? Because that's the kind of guy he is. Uh, I think uh, Caleb has worked out enough with me to know his job was just to cheer me on and to push me across the finish line. And so I still, though, I had high hopes for the Murph this year. 
But thinking back, I'm not exactly sure why. Running had not come back for me yet, still hasn't. My gait's all weird. And so I kind of was like, I've been just hoping for the last couple years I'd have this like Forrest Gump moment. You know, the, when he was little and he had the braces and then he's running and then they fall, they fall off and he's just like remarkably fast. I've been waiting for that and I realize that sounds very crazy now. But man, I was still optimistic right up until the point, about 20 seconds after they said go. Chad disappeared in the distance with the elite athletes. I felt like I was running on like wooden pirate legs. I don't know if that rings true for anybody, but the first mile was brutal and it kind of just went downhill from there. The rig was crowded, so I couldn't do pull-ups. Uh, push-ups always are terrible. Nobody should be able to do 200 push-ups. Uh, the air squats actually felt okay, which I was surprised about. And then the last run, I think I was passed by an elderly lady on a, on a walker. And I was just like, I, I want to be better too. I don't know. But I had looked at this finish line of Memorial Day 2022. I'm back. And I'm realizing now that even when I finally can do that, that's not the finish line. This might not sound as encouraging as I think it is. I think death is the finish line. And so it's not like I'll do the Murph and then I'm like, I have achieved physical fitness, so I'm done. The Murph is just a, a time check, a time stamp of how far I've come to get to that point, but there's still so far to go. And for the record, I watched Chad on some of his squats, and they were, his depth was like to be lacking, for sure. Uh, he was here for service, and that felt healing for me to say. But man, uh, we finished. We finished in 61 minutes, which was six and a half minutes slower than 2019. And I think next time I do the Murph, I'm going to smoke half squat Chad. But listen... I have asked a couple friends to come demonstrate something with me, because if you're like me, the visual aids help. So I need Dave and Tim to join me up here on stage. Coming. Um, just to give you a little background, both of these guys were in my hospital room with me. So when we're walking through life and we're carrying this heavy weight and we're holding it for as long as we can without having community around you, Without having your friends, you'll drop it. But if you're surrounded by the right people, this is heavy. This is heavy. <laughs> They're gonna hold it the rest of the service. Thank you guys. <laughs> now you can put it down. When, give them a hand. Give my handsome, strong men a hand. Whenever you're going through those difficult seasons and the weight is getting so heavy that you wanna quit, that's when the value of having these friendships, people who are moving in the same direction as you, who can see when you're struggling, who can see when you're exhausted, who know when you need help, that's when they can step in and carry that weight for you. I'm thankful for my family and community and my faith that pushed me to stay in the fight. So my point today is you need to surround yourself with people who can help you carry the weight of life. Surround yourself with people who can help you carry the weight of life. I'm going to add this for free. Those kind of friendships are really difficult to make when you're in the middle of a storm. James continues in verse 5. He says, 
If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This verse almost feels out of place because everything leading up to it is there's going to be pain, you're going to need to find joy in it and persevere, and it gets to verse 5 and it's like, hey, he knows when you have, when your life gets turned upside down, when that weight gets too heavy, you're not going to always have the answer. And when you do, that's when you need to ask your heavenly father for help and direction and he'll give it to you. So that makes me wonder, who are we asking for help? Are we turning to God? Are we turning to our community? Are we asking people whose marriages we look up to, whose kids aren't little terrors? Are we looking for advice from the right people? These tests, they grow our faith, but they also drive us to lean on God and ask for help. James continues in verse six. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. My wife, Ashley, and I and our whole family, we were so blessed to be surrounded with such a great community during the last few years of a difficult season. And I'll tell you, this message isn't a be more resilient like Eli kind of message, because I'll tell you, there was moments in the hospital where I did, even with Dave and Tim and so many more people standing with me, I still felt alone. And that's because I didn't feel like anybody knew the pain I was going through. There was, and it was just very isolating. On my second surgery, we had a new doctor because it was the weekend. And normally I would really appreciate the candor and honesty of a blunt doctor. But he walked in and my leg was still open and he said, hey, sorry, we tried. Uh, It's probably not gonna happen, so you're gonna need a skin graft. That's gonna put you in the hospital for like two more weeks. And by the way, those are super painful. Have a great weekend. And he left. And uh, I I looked at Ashley and I just said, take me home. I quit. I I didn't want to be there anymore. The pain was too great. Thankfully, they don't let people who are broken in half check out of hospitals. So they stayed for a couple more days. And thankfully, thankfully, God shows up when you need him, right? So we live in a small community and news of the accident had spread pretty quick. And a lady named Emily Haywood sent me a Facebook message. Emily is a beloved member, was a beloved member of the Brooklyn Park Police Force and also worked out at my gym. In 2018, Emily was diagnosed with cancer and she had been fighting it head on since. At my lowest point in the hospital, a Facebook message appeared from Emily and she said this, femurs are no fun at all. I had a very large rod hammered into my left femur last Monday. And the only word to describe it is painful. But here's the healing. Over the next two weeks, I continued to get messages from Emily, asking how my pain was, asking how I was moving around. We even were cracking jokes about how we were gonna bedazzle our wheelchairs and return to CrossFit. And she did all this while cancer was destroying her body. A few weeks later, 42 days after my accident, a year to the date of her diagnosis, on October 29th, 2019, 
Emily passed away. Her badge number was 183, and it's painted on our gym wall, a reminder to be strong, brave, and humble like Emily. This bar as well was made in her honor as a reminder to those who use it. And I know, I know that life gets heavy. I get it. The loss of your physical health, the loss of that relationship, the struggle with mental health, the abuse, the infertility, the tendency is to think that 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 weight that we're carrying defines us. We see ourselves as broken or less than, or we think everybody sees that weight that we're carrying and that's how they see us. But let me tell you this, God didn't cause your pain, but if you let him, he'll use it. I've heard it said that God will never waste your hurt or your pain, and he can use it. Just like how he used Emily to reach out to me in one of my lowest points. So God can use your pain for his purpose. But one of the only ways that can happen is if, if you share what you're going through. If we don't know what you're going through, we can't help. Or if you've been through something and you see somebody going through the same thing, you need to have the courage of Emily to reach out to somebody. We may be fist bumped at the gym. We may be so, spoke a couple words to each other. But she took the courage to act and sit there with me. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When we are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more he will shower us with his comfort through Christ. One of the last messages I received from Emily was that she told me she was praying for me. She sent me this message and it says this. It says, this is not our destination. It's just a wee detour. The weight that we carry, it doesn't define us. The pain that we're going through is not our destination. And yes, it's heavy now. It's heavy. But man, if you surround yourself with community, if you plug yourself in to your faith, that's gonna, it's gonna make you more resilient. It's been almost three years and it still affects me. Emily, who I hardly knew, for her to reach out to me in the middle of her storm, for her to reach out and in her pain say, hey, this sucks. It hurts, at times it's unbearable, but this too will pass. Emily knew that the weight we carry, it doesn't define us, neither does our pain. Our pain doesn't define us. And that's not where we're meant to end up, that's not our destination. It's just a wee detour. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never experienced that peace that healing or comfort that comes 
with having a personal relationship with your heavenly father. And I want to let you know that the story of the Bible cover to cover is that God is building a family and he's invited you to be in it. And if you've never said yes to that invitation, I'd love for you to join me this morning in this simple prayer. Father, please forgive me of my sins and forgive me for the times I've walked away from you. I admit that I'm broken and I need you. I want to say yes to your invitation. You're a good father who brings peace and healing in the middle of life's storms. So I ask you to adopt me into your family, to make me your son, to make me your daughter. Help me to trust and follow you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.